Christine then ran downstairs. I, I can see your face, Jess. Yeah. <laughs> I can see your face. It's a lo- lot of eye gouging. <laughs> What's up, witches? It's Claudia here, and I have some exciting news. Finally, we have created a Patreon. So you can find us at patreon.com forward slash true crime coffin pot. At the moment, there is only one tier. It's the familiar tier, and it's just where you can chuck us a quid just to help keep us going every month. We aim to expand on this and create new tiers and exciting content. But for now, if you'd like to support us in this way, please do go ahead. That's patreon.com forward slash true crime coffin pod. Enjoy the episode, guys. What's up, witches? Hi, I'm Claudia. And I'm Jess. And welcome to True True Crime Crime Cover. So, hi, Jess. Hey, Claudia. How are you doing? Um, Yeah, I'm good, actually. I'm really good. Um, I've got some plans later tonight that I'm looking forward to. Oh, Um, nice. Do tell. I'm going, well, I'm going to a drag karaoke (gasps) show. That sounds amazing. And then I'm going to uh, a burlesque show. Oh, even um, even better. With one of my, you know, truly goth friends. Like goth with a T-H, not goth with an F, double F yeah, like yeah, I yeah. am. Like a fake goth. Okay. Like a, a true goth. Um, so, yeah, I'm, I'm very much looking forward to it. Um, oh, that sounds amazing. Yeah, I think I'm going to wear my zebra print dress, which, Ooh. you know... Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. I mean, no one cares what I'm going to wear, but I care. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's my that's my plan. What about you? Got anything planned? Yeah, it's Friday, by the way. Everyone. Oh yeah, yeah. We're, we're, <laughs> we're not just going crazy on a Wednesday. Um, so, although nothing wrong with going crazy on a Wednesday. No, um, no. I was so gonna say. <laughs> tonight. Why are you judging my life, Jess? <laughs> <laughs> tonight, me and Aiden are actually going out on our first date night, just the two of us, since Paula was born. Night. You're gonna do it right. Yeah, so we haven't, although we've left Orla with our parents, we that's normally been for like an occasion. Mm. Or we've gone out like the two of us and Orla. So today is the first day that we're gonna go out, out, no baby. Where are you going? Like, what are you doing rather than like <laughs> doxing yourself completely? Yeah, no. I was just gonna sit at home and do nothing. No, Jacob, we're gonna go um, to Miller and Carter because we've got a vo- uh, we got a voucher for Christmas, okay. so we're gonna go there. And I was just looking through all of our like cards and stuff that we got for our birthday, and I found an unopened card that had forty quid in it. So I think nice. we're gonna go get some cocktails <laughs> with that money. Yeah. Nice. And do you have to pick her up early tomorrow or? Uh, no. So she's going to my mum's and then we're going to stay at my mum's. Okay. Um, so you don't have to necessarily wake up really early. No. And my mum's going to do like the whole bedtime routine with her, put her to bed. And, and then... you need to pump and dump, of course. Yeah. Need if to you're pump drinking. and dump. Yeah. <laughs> and then I'll wake up in the morning and then look after her again. But I and also hopefully have... not with too much of a sore head. Oh my god! I went out for my friend's birthday the other day, and that was like the first time that I've got quite hungover. And <laughs> Orla was really ill, and Aiden went to football, and I was like, you know what? We're just lying on the sofa. <laughs> Dioralite, pedalite, best friend. Yeah. Um. So yeah, I should have had 
something better. But I did the rookie mistake of like not eating or drinking anything when I got home. Well, you're going to have a meal, so you'll be fine. Yeah, so I'll be all right. And then drink water throughout the night and then have some diorolite before you go to bed. Yeah. Bing, bang, bong. Bing, bang, bong. <laughs> Claudia's um, tips of how to not be hungover the next Lucas day. Aid is also your best friend. Lucas Aid is When the best. you're drunk and when you're hungover. Also cups of tea. It's all about, no, but they dehydrate you. It's all about mm. the electrolytes and the rehydration. That's true. Um, I don't have anything on tomorrow, so we're just going to have a pyjama day. I don't know if I've said this before, but lining your stomach is a real thing. Oh, no, it 100% is. No, as in, like, basically, if you eat beforehand or you have more sugary drinks whilst you're drinking, it means that your body takes longer to digest it and yeah. therefore... The alcohol stays in your stomach rather than moving into your intestines, which have a larger surface area, which allows for more alcohol to pass into your bloodstream, yeah. which allows for you to get drunk more. So, yes, you get drunk more slowly, but you also get less of it. Yeah, I actually watched a video of a girl doing it. She she breathalyzed herself um, on two separate nights, had one night where she hadn't eaten, and she did, I think she did like five shots of vodka. Um, and then breathalyzed herself and then ate and then like a week later ate took did five shots of vodka and then breathalyzed herself like every hour and on the one that she'd eaten it was something ridiculous like two hours later she was completely like zero percent alcohol and on the one where she hadn't eaten it was like even the next morning she still had some in her system yeah and it's purely because you're going to obviously with the higher with the larger surface area yeah um you're gonna get drunker you're gonna have more alcohol passing into bloodstream if you haven't got food yeah in your intestines to stop your alcohol from getting there i, I said that in a very convoluted way yeah. but i hope but, everyone but, understands yeah, yeah. what i'm saying so yeah do eat before you go out um, when did this turn into an educational podcast on how to not be so hungover? again it's weird facts of claudia i just know weird things it's because i like to watch qi and listen to no such thing as a fish which i know I aren't love, always factually 100 yeah. percent. but i like i love no such thing as a fish it's yeah a very good podcast and anyway, we've been told by our editor not to ramble. <laughs> so with that... Sorry, Simon. Uh, <laughs> we're going to go straight on to our true crime case. Whoop, whoop. Um, so I know recently we've had some unconventional true crime weeks, mm-hmm. ones that cover crimes and definitely tragedies, but not cases as such. Yeah. And I know that this sometimes annoys people. I understand it because I myself am guilty definitely of overlooking such um, true crime cases and opting for the, the murder. Yeah. Um, you know, it's, it's morbid and it's, you know, yeah, um, it's definitely an ethical thing in some ways, but it is the thing that piques most people's interests and I, I'm not going to pretend I'm any different. No, I have to say, though, I am quite proud of our trans hate crime episode just because yeah. I think um, it was important to do, as was the asylum seeking children. Yeah, definitely. Anyway, this week we are back on a more traditional true crime theme. And I'm bringing you the case of the Papin sisters. So, trigger warnings this week are a little bit heavy. We have child sexual assault from a parent. We have the mention of suicide. No details at all, though. Um, We do have graphic injuries and mutilation, which I, you know, I never go into the real nitty gritty, but I do Mm. mention them. And we've also got death by starvation. So it's a little bit heavy, yeah. Um, but I'd rather people be aware of what is going to happen and not trigger anyone. Uh, and yeah. if these are triggering to you and you feel like this isn't the case for you, as always, no worries, look after yourself and we'll see you for some light-hearted ghost stories 
next time. Yeah. Oh, well, we won't see you. Jess will I'll see you see with you. a with a guest. I will not be here. Exciting <laughs> um, times. <laughs> I will be with my mum post up. Um, so we travel to France today, but our mode of transport is a time machine back to the 1920s. To be more exact, we are going to the city of Le Mans in northwestern France in 1926. And I just have to put my usual disclaimer of I'm not French. Um, I got a C in French GCSE. Uh, therefore, I'm going to try my absolute best not to butcher the beautiful French language, but I'm probably still going to, as we all expect. <laughs> Good luck. I didn't even do French GCSE, so... What did you do? Uh, we didn't have to take language. Oh, lucky you. Yeah, I know, did. I know, we were a technology college, so we had to take a... I had to take a tech as well, because oh, we were a technology college. <laughs> I had to take a humanity, had to take a language, had to take a tech, and had to take an art. Okay, so really when they say your choices, they didn't give you much choice at all. You had like these categories, yeah. We had, anyway. we had categories, but you could get around. So oh, I, I no. did two humanities. I think you could do that if you if like you were in a, a lesser, like not a lesser, like a lower group. Oh, fair. But anyway. Anyway. <laughs> we were told not to ramble. So. <laughs> <laughs> we're going to the city of Le Mans in northwestern France in 1926, where the Lancelon family, which is... Spell L A N C E L I M, but I don't think it's Lancelin, I think it's Lancelon. Mm-hmm. Uh, family lived at 6 Rue Bruyere. The family consisted of Monsoir Ren Lancelon, who was a retired solicitor, his wife, Madame Leonie Lancelon, and their youngest daughter, Genevieve. And I love the name Genevieve. Mm. It's a pretty name. So pretty. The Lancelins had another older daughter, but she had married and had moved out by this time. I'm also not sure how old Genevieve was, but I feel like she was at least a teenager just because he's a retired solicitor and they have an yeah. older daughter who's married and moved out. I know obviously they married a lot younger than but I feel like she's not a child child. Yeah. In the year of 1926, the Lancelons had two living maids residing in their home, sisters Leah and Christine Papin, who we'll be taking a closer look at today. So the sisters were born in Le Mans to parents Clemence Dare and Gustave Papin, who were not a happy couple. Whilst Clemence was dating Gustave, rumours circulated that she was cheated on him with her employer. Nevertheless, when Clemence fell pregnant, Gustave proposed because he did genuinely love her. And the two were married in October 1901. Five months later, their oldest daughter was born, whom they named Amelia. I also like the name Amelia. Yeah. Um, apparently my mum would have called me Amelia if I wasn't called Claudia. Oh. Yeah, but with an A, like more English spelling, this yeah. Amelia. Um, yeah. But the birth of their first child didn't solve their problems, as it rarely mm. does. And Gustave suspected that Clemence was still sleeping with her boss. I just said Clemence. It could be Clemence, could be Clemence. I don't know. <laughs> Clemence. <laughs> um, was still sleeping with her boss. I also don't know if Amelia was actually his child or if okay. there were speculations around that. I, I just don't know. Okay. And so when Amelia was two years old, Gustave tried to move his family to another city. But Clemence dug her, dug her heels in and declared dramatically that she would rather take her own life than leave the city of Le Mans. This made Gustave believe even more that Clemence was continuing her affair. And understandably, the marriage began to deteriorate and Gustav turned to the bottle, presumably to dull his heartbreak. I did see one report say that they did move, 
but that must have still been in Le Mans because that's where they continue to live. Okay. So, I, weird. Yeah. On March 8th of 1905, Clements gave birth to their second daughter, Christine Papin, one of the maids in our case today. Clements was sent to be not a nurturing mother to her two daughters, though, showing them and her husband no affection, and she was deemed unsuitable for motherhood. So Christine was given to Gustav's sister and her husband soon after she was born, where she was said to be happy and well looked after, as her aunt and uncle greeted her with open arms. Six years later, on September 15, 1911, Leah Papin was born, the other maid in our case. She was passed over to Clemence's brother when she was born, living with him for a year until her uncle sadly died in 1912. And it was in 1912 that 10-year-old Amelia said that her father Gustav had raped her. But rather than support her child, Clemence decided that Amelia must have seduced her father and so sent her to the Bon Pasteur Catholic Orphanage, which was known for its strict discipline and brutality, which... I can imagine, from a Catholic orphanage in the early 1900s. Oh, my God, yeah. And that's, like, not me trying to offend Catholics, but I feel as though an orphanage in itself doesn't often conjure up ideas of warmth. And when you consider the reason Amelia was sent there, she was probably seen as, like, promiscuous, and that wouldn't have gone down well in the Catholic community. And, yes, it is completely fucked that um, her mother decided to blame her. And I wish I could say that this is something that doesn't happen today. But... Sadly, Sadly, it it does. It's just you can't really send your children to orphanages anymore. I mean, already, I mean, how we're like five minutes into the story and it's already Mm. insanely sad for these children. Oh, yeah. Like, I understand that then you it's not like, well, don't have kids if you don't want them because birth control wasn't an option. Yeah. Um, So, and I don't know how much they knew about um, like sort of, menstrual cycles and natural yeah contraception i mm. mean which is not foolproof by any means anyway and additionally I, I just personally don't have that knowledge about how much they knew at that time to apply no because it's quite an old case yeah i mean i feel like they must have known something or they weren't having sex that much because only having three children yeah for really yeah as far as we know anyway i don't know if they had any other you know pregnancies that didn't yeah make it full term but um yeah it's not like I, it, you can just say well don't have the kids if you're if you if you're not a good mum because that wasn't an option yeah um mad but she though, definitely that, shouldn't have had kids no mad that all three of her kids like two of them were taken off of her pretty much at birth and then the oldest one she sent away yeah exactly not, not a good not not great no, is it no um, so soon after Amelia's arrival at the orphanage, Christine, age seven, and Leah, age one, joined their elder sister. Clemence planned for all three of her daughters to stay at the orphanage until they were 15, when they were able to be employed and earn money for their family. So yeah, basically it's like, I don't want you, but the second you're useful, you can come you back. Can back. That's... And <laughs> uh, So yeah, again, just shouldn't have been a mother. No. In 1913, Clements and Gustav divorced, which I feel was probably for the best. Yeah, I mean, it sounded like it was a long time coming. Yeah, it sounded like it, uh, neither of them are particularly great people, mm. if, if the accusations are correct. Um, I'm not saying Amelia's lying, I'm just, I never saw anything that said that the claims were substantiated. So, <laughs> can't say okay. that word, apparently. <laughs> I like it with um, all the uh, emphasis. Yeah, 
It's punchy. Yeah. So Amelia actually ended up entering a, cov- uh, a convent and lived out the remainder of her life there as a nun. So, Keeping you awake, are we, Jess? <laughs> Sorry, was, that stretches me beyond. But I was about to say, so I like how she goes from a promiscuous girl who tries to seduce her dad to a nun. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I also wonder if, um, in the case of sexual abuse, if this was perhaps a way to feel safer, as yeah. that, in that she's away from men. I mean, I know obviously nuns do have monks quite often that sometimes convents have associated monasteries. Um, and obviously you've got like your holy preachers and stuff mm. um but i just wonder if maybe that was a way to be safe and away from men i yeah, don't know maybe that's again speculation but um christine also received the calling to become a nun while she was residing in the orphanage but clement forbade this having already lost one form of income from amelia so she placed christine in employment instead i think she was she- like uh, absolutely not i've already lost money from that one so <laughs> Get your ass into work. She sounds great. Yeah, honestly. <laughs> um, so as she'd had plenty of practice in the orphanage with cleaning and other such household duties, Christine misses, mm. she naturally decided to find work as a living maid. And she was good at it, being described as a hard worker and a good cook. However, she could be disobedient and defiant at times. Apparently she was kind of thought of as a typical like middle child, but then I don't really know how she'd be a typical middle child because... She was never in a household with two parents and her, her older, older and younger. Yeah. So I'm just a bit How, like, yeah. I, I, that's just maybe her nature. At one point <laughs> she was like an only child when she was living with her yeah. auntie and uncle. And then she was in she an, was an, an orphanage. orphanage. I mean, Where you're one of many. Yeah. <laughs> presumably. Yeah. I mean, I'm the middle child. Yeah, we know. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. No. There is psychology behind it, but... Oh, no, there know. is my... um. Older brother and younger sister like to send me all these like videos about middle children. And- I do think it's different though when you've got a. Sorry, Simon, for rambling. Yeah. But I do think it's different when you've got um, a mixture of genders within that though, because I think definitely yeah. you're still the oldest girl. Yeah. Which is like, there well, is- I think if you've got three girls or three boys, it's a, a different. Yeah, there is definitely a difference between like each child. Yeah, I believe, I I can imagine that parents parent differently. Yeah, because I mean, no matter... Even unintentionally. Yeah, because obviously when, like, obviously now Ola is an only child at the minute, so I can give her all of my attention. Hmm. However, if we have another kid, because I already have Ola, I'm not going to be able to give them 100% of my attention. Also, you'll be more... um cautious with Orla yeah and letting her do things and then I remember my sister complaining like because I'm the youngest that I was able to go and do things younger than she was allowed yeah but obviously you're more lenient because you're less terrified yeah but anyway anyway <laughs> we're rambling again by the by <laughs> so when Leah turned 15 she followed in her sister Christine's footsteps and she too became a living maid but in contrast to Christine's occasionally defiant nature Leah was described as being obedient, as well as quiet and introverted. She was also thought to be less intelligent than her older sister. The two sisters... What's that look for, Jess? Just because she was quiet, she's thought of as less intelligent. No, I I don't think that's why. Okay, Um, just a coincidence. I think just in general, they just thought that she was a bit less 
intelligent, but it could be worse. Yeah. The two sisters were employed in various households throughout their city of Le Mans, preferring to work together whenever possible. Their employers were always content with their standard of work, but of course, Mother Clemence, or, you know, Mère Clemence, <laughs> Um, as, as one should say, if yeah. you will. Uh, Jess, that's French, by the way. Um, okay. Okay. <laughs> was never satisfied with how much her daughters were being paid and so it would force them to find better paying jobs, hence why they moved around from job to job so frequently. And that brings us back to the Lancelon household where the two sisters found themselves employed as living maids in 1926. See, we've come full circle. Yeah. After the sisters had been working for the family for a few months, being considered hardworking and good at their jobs as usual, Christine persuaded Madame Leone to hire Leah as a, as a chambermaid. Now, I wasn't sure what the difference was between being a maid and a chambermaid, to be mm -hmm. honest, um, and I'm still not 100% on it. Okay. <laughs> I tried to look it up, but I think a maid is responsible for cleaning like the entire home, whilst a chambermaid is sort of more responsible for the cleaning and keeping of the bedroom. Okay. Um, I could be wrong. And it does seem that sometimes the two titles are used interchangeably. Yeah. But obviously Leah changed from being a maid to a chambermaid. So I assume there's some distinction there and presumably better pay. Um, um, yeah. I wonder if it's more of like a personal maid. Do you know what I mean? Like they yeah. clean your room, but also are expected to do more things for you. Yeah. Like perhaps put out clothes for you and help yeah. you get ready and stuff. I, Yeah. Um, also, I did see one source say that Christine was actually a cook. Okay. Um, and that Leah was a maid. Either way, they both worked within the home and served the family. Yeah. Is the bar, you know, the, the sort of bottom line. Yeah. Um, so being the hard workers that they were, the sisters spent their lives dedicated to working long hours doing their jobs, carrying on like this for years. They also dressed up every Sunday to attend church and were said to be known to be good girls with proper behaviour. Oh, good. However, yeah, yeah. Good church-going girls. Mm. However, due to only seem... I mean, I assume they would be Catholic, to be fair. They've lived in a Catholic orphanage. Yeah. However, due to only seeming to be interested in each other's company, they were also thought of as unsocial. Even during their lunch breaks, where they got, like, two hours, by the way. Okay, that's a good lunch like, break. I, I guess it's, like, a, more of a full-time job because you never leave. Yeah. But I'm still a bit jealous. I get 40 minutes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. They preferred to stay in their shared bedroom together rather than socialise or go out. Some reports stated that although, that although the girls were rarely seen apart, they were also rarely seen talking to each other, leaving some to speculate if they were telepathic. Though sometimes I just think, perhaps there wasn't much to talk about. Like, if you're not going out... Yeah, and if you're with each other 24-7... Yeah, and also you get to know someone so well that it's not telepathy, it's non-verbal cues yeah like you know in the way that you and ada could probably exchange a look and know what each other's saying yeah and just also there's nothing wrong with being happy sitting in silence a comfortable silence yeah. yeah like me and you can sit comfortably in silence yeah me and like anyone i'm close to i can that's like a sign of closeness isn't yeah. it yeah and sometimes like not be funny if you've had a long hard shift and you cannot be bothered to talk like, yeah, yeah that, the last thing you want you is could just enjoy each other's you. company. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So after a few years of the Papin sisters working at the Lancelon household, Madame Leone's mental health began to decline. I should have said, sorry, and I'm, I'm sorry that I didn't, so I'll say it now. Um, there's also another trigger warning here just for we discuss mental health throughout this. 
Um, so I'm really sorry if you've gotten this far and now you're like, oh, that's not for me. I'm really sorry. I completely forgot to put in my trigger warnings, which is my fault. So um, here is where we begin to discuss mental health and we will continue throughout the episode. So Madame Leone's mental health began to decline and she developed depression, which she took out on the sisters, becoming overly critical of their work, finding problems where there were none and there never had been any before. Um, apparently sometimes she would put on white gloves and check for dust and, you know, point out spots they'd missed and make them go back and clean it. Just becoming really, like, micromanaging. Mm. And, yeah, like I said, like, it's extra annoying when there's never been a problem with your work before. You've not changed how you're working. And suddenly it's not good enough. Yeah. And I can imagine back then that mental health wasn't as well controlled. No. So or it was just like, like she's like a help bitch. Was, yeah, help wasn't available. So they then probably got stuck in a vicious circle of she was depressed taken out on them they were getting annoyed at her yeah it's just an unhealthy environment all around yeah yeah um at times though she would even become physically abusive towards the sisters and reportedly she even slammed the girls heads against the wall when she was in her worst moods i don't know how often that occurred but reportedly it occurred at least once for me i'm like that's not that doesn't sound like depression well yeah like, like i've I've, I've said it before and I'll say it again, like poor mental health isn't your fault, but how you conduct yourself, yeah. unless you have psychosis, is. Like, I'm not going to sit here and pretend that my own poor mental health hasn't impacted me in a way that I've behaved awfully. I think anyone with bad mental health probably yeah. has behaved badly because of it at some point, but that doesn't make it okay. You should always look to improve on that and mm. apologise and make amends. Like, and apologies don't make everything better, don't get me wrong, but you can't just say, well, I'm depressed, so that's why I slammed your head against the wall. Yeah. Or I did X, Y, Z. Yeah. Um, however, I can imagine that physical punishment towards your staff, quote-unquote, mm. um, was perhaps a bit common. Yeah, I can imagine it was. Maybe not to this extent, but I imagine a slap across the face wasn't unheard of. Yeah, or even like a... Not like a whipping, but do you know what? Like, like a, a cane, yeah, like almost. A, yeah. Yeah, I, I can't imagine it wasn't unheard of. And therefore, this, you know, kind of makes it, like, this escalation a bit more accepted. Yeah. Like, obviously, I don't think it would have been ideal, but I don't think people would have necessarily said anything either. Yeah, it wouldn't have been, like, if that happened in today's society, people, like, that, that would, would be, be an a uproar. huge thing. But back yeah, then, it was probably, hope. like... Oh, okay, well, yeah, I mean, we've hurt our maid a couple of times, so... Yeah, exactly. What's the big deal? Yeah. Especially, and I don't know how high up their standing was in society, but especially if you're quite high up in society, people aren't going to question you as much. Yeah. I mean, we still see that now. Oh, yeah. But... <laughs> yeah, if you can pay people off, then you can do yeah. what you want. Exactly. Nevertheless, the sisters continued working in the Lancelon home, and it was on the evening of Thursday, February 2nd, 1933... So they've been working with the family for about seven years at this Mm. point. That Madame Leone and her youngest daughter, Genevieve, returned home from a day of shopping to find their house in complete darkness. When questioned about this, the sisters explained that there had been a power cut after Christine, who was now 27 years old, had plugged in a faulty iron. Oddly enough, this was the second time this had happened, with the iron malfunctioning and causing the power to trip. And odder still... The iron had only just returned from the repairman, 
who had found nothing wrong with the appliance. Nevertheless, the power cut caused by Christine enraged Madame Leone and she attacked the sister maids on the first floor landing. This escalated quickly and soon became a full-on fight, with Christine then lunging herself at Genevieve and she gouged her eyes out. Leah, now 21 years old, joined in the fight and as ordered by her more dominant sister, she gouged out Madame Leone's eyes too. Christine then ran downstairs. I, I can see your face, Jess. Yeah. <laughs> I can see your face. It's a lo- lot of eye gouging. Yeah, it's a bit... Like, I don't really get into fights. Um, I have had someone attack me and I've defended myself, but I don't really get into fights. But if I had to lunge at someone who was attacking me or something, mm. I don't think I'd go for the eyes. I, well, no, I know I would go yeah. for the eyes. I do... Yeah, I think depends who's attacking me, uh, male or female. Yeah, but you're still not thinking going for the eyes, are no, you? Like I'm thinking, what can I? Where can I hit them? That's gonna make them stumble back. Stop. What's gonna incapacitate them? Yeah. Um. Yeah. It's it's, it's odd, but um. But yeah, it's what they went for. Christine made then ran downstairs and retrieved a knife and a hammer from the kitchen. She returned to the first floor and the two sisters continued attacking the women of the Lancelon family. One of the sisters then grabbed a heavy pewter pitcher, which is like a large metal jug. Okay. Um, I always thought pewter was China, <laughs> so I've learned something new. Oh. Um, and she struck both Madame Leone and Genevieve in the heads with it. The sisters were so riled up that they didn't stop there. They went on to mutilate the mother and daughter's thighs and buttocks. Later the same night, Monsieur Lancelon returned to his home. He had plans that night to attend a family friend's house for dinner with his family and finding his own house in darkness, he assumed that his wife and daughter had made their way to the family friend's house and so he left to make his way there too. However, when he arrived at the friend's house, he obviously discovered that Madame Leone and Genevieve were not there waiting for him Hmm. and so he and his son-in-law returned to the Lancelon home, by which time it was around 7pm. When they arrived at 6 Rue Bruyere, they found the house still in total darkness, except for one light that they could see. It was coming from the room of the Papin sisters. The two men tried to enter the home, but found that the door was bolted shut from the inside, so they sought help at the local police station and returned with a policeman, who was able to gain entry to the house by climbing over the garden wall. Once the officer was inside, he found the bludgeoned bodies of the Lancelon women, who were almost unrecognisable and it was only due to being found in their own home and being unaccounted for that it was obvious who the bodies belonged to. They were covered in stab wounds, with both their eyes gouged out. Madame Leone's were found in the folds of the scarf she was wearing around her neck, whilst one of Genevieve's eyes was found under her body and another on the stairs at the other end of the landing. Yeah, oh, so they gruesome, like isn't fully it? gouged their eyes out. Yeah, yeah, which really cringes me out. Yeah. Um, also, I just... Also, that wouldn't kill you either, would it? Gouging someone's no, eyes out. That would just be the... fucking horrific yeah. instead. Um, I think this might be one of the more brutal ones that we've... Yeah. I, I often don't go into the nitty gritty, but in this it was sort of necessary because it's what happened. What happened, yeah. And if it's included in an article, I will include it. Yeah. Um, I guess because it's an older case, we know more. Yeah, it sounds like... I. 
it's gonna sound weird but i think eye gouging it's like the same as suffocating someone it's just such because you have to be so close to their face mm, it's very intimate yeah and i mean i cannot speak from experience as i have never gouged someone's eyes out but i cannot imagine oh, I'm glad it. to hear that <laughs> i can't imagine it being an easy task yeah i i have to admit um i've never either but um something about eyes freaks me out a little bit so as it was presumed first that there had been an intruder in the home it was feared that the papin sisters had met a similar fate and that's the thing they no one was thinking it was them yeah they were all just thinking oh my god like someone has broken broken in. in they've done this horrific crime they must have maybe hurt the maids as well um, so the police officer carried on upstairs where he found the door to Christine and Leah's room locked. He knocked tentatively, but there was no response and no noise was heard from inside the room. A locksmith was called to open the door. Not entirely sure why they didn't break the door down, to be yeah. honest, but, you know, um, different times. And once the door was unlocked, the officer did indeed find the Papin sisters inside, but they were alive and well. They were found in bed together, naked and on a chair in the room was a hammer covered in blood and hair and yeah yeah a bit of a twist there naked in bed together yeah so christine and leah were questioned and immediately they confessed to the murders of madame leone and genevieve however they claimed that they had killed them in self-defense during their trial the sisters tried to protect each other by each taking responsibility for the crimes and absolving the other one of their part played in prison, they were separated and were not allowed to see one another, which caused Christine great distress. And I think it's really telling that, like, it caused Christine great distress, but Leah wasn't as bothered. Yeah. And I don't know if that's in part because Leah was, you know, not disobedient, so it wasn't in her nature to make a fuss, or whether it shows that actually perhaps Leah has more dominance than people realise. Yeah. Or that Christine is so controlling not having yeah. her sister there to control true you do say that in and, abusive relationships yeah, don't you and yeah. she has because she's in prison she has nothing to control so she's just losing all, all her control yeah yeah that's very true as well yeah. yeah i didn't think of it like that um so so much so that at one point the priv- prison officers actually relented and allowed the sisters to meet wow. uh, which i can imagine didn't normally happen very easily no. but i i i i it obviously got to a point where they were just like, oh my God, it, it'll just make life so much easier. easier. Yeah. Um, so reportedly, upon seeing Leah, Christine threw herself at her and began to unbutton her blouse. I don't know if that's Christine's blouse or Leah's, but either way, one's getting unbuttoned. Yeah. And begging her to please say yes, which along with the sisters being found naked in bed together has caused people to believe that there may have been an incestuous romantic relationship between Leah and Christine. It's just speculation. Yeah, though. okay. In 1933, Christine's mental health deteriorated. And in crisis, this is whilst they're still in prison, mm-hmm. and in crisis, she tried to gouge out her own eyes. And I don't really know th- why this seems to be the go-to. Like, why eyes? Yeah, I mean, also, like, doing it on someone else, hard. One thing. But doing yeah. it on yourself? yeah. And also, like, again, like we said, it's not going to kill you. Yeah. It's just going to attempt to take your own life. Yeah. Exactly. And not in a, I mean, there's no nice way to go blind, but there's definitely nicer ways. Yeah. It's all 
horrible. I would never want to lose my sight. And I'm not, di- I'm not re- like di- diminishing that and anyone that yeah. goes through that. But it's just like having your eyes gouged oh. out is definitely not a, not a chosen way no. to have to go through that. I wonder if her mental health was so bad that she was like hallucinating though. And yeah, if she got to that point and she was like, this is the only way I can stop the hallucinations, blah, blah, blah. Well, this is a thing and I was going to mention it later, but I'll say it now. Yeah. Um, they referred to it in prison as like an episode she had and i'm referring it to it as a crisis because once one that's updated language and two like the term episode seems like dated but also reductive like yeah it seems like psychosis or crisis doesn't it episodes yeah like oh women yeah like yeah yeah yeah. and it's like no this is a mental health crisis yeah so she was placed in a straitjacket for her own safety and also presumably the safety of others Mm. She made a statement to the investigating magistrate in which she stated that on the day of the murders, she had experienced an episode, crisis, just like she had in prison. She said that this was basically what had caused the murders. Okay. Because of this, the sister's defence lawyer made a case of not guilty by reason of insanity on behalf of Leah and Christine. And they did indeed appear to show signs of mental illness. Obviously, from what we've just said... But also they wouldn't maintain eye contact and would stare straight ahead as though in a daze. Three doctors were appointed to carry out psychological evaluations on them and they concluded that the two sisters had no mental health disorders and were deemed fit and sane to stand trial. So I think they thought it was a bit of an act. Okay. But I guess... In this Understanding time, at yeah, the time. Yeah, yeah. They probably just think like there's depression being insane and being healthy there's not all these other levels of mental health that we now understand exactly it is it was probably a bit more black and white yeah Uh, they also concluded that there was not an incestuous relationship between the sisters and that christine's affections towards the sister were based on familial ties now i just want to say i was reading this and i was thinking like i love my sister a lot and in general like I come from quite a liberal household, so other people might find this weird, but I don't really have any qualms like being naked in front of my sister. Yeah. Um, we're not particularly like, like, we don't walk, we would never walk around the house just like swinging around but with like it, yeah, <laughs> stuff out. Getting but... changed in the same room together, you'll. Yeah, like I'm thinking you don't about feel like the you time. You have to leave a room to get changed kind of thing. No, and like me and my sister went to uh, Indonesia for a day and had a, a spa day together, which sounds very bougie. Mm. Um, but my sister lives in Singapore, so it's less bougie in a way. Yeah. Because it's, yeah. And um, we were like sharing um, the spa room and obviously you're naked underneath your towel. And then weirdly, there was a toilet in the spa room, um, which was like partially hidden. But like if we need to go to the toilet, like, you the just, yeah. masseuse left but we wouldn't mind peeing in front of each other yeah, like, yeah, yeah. which is kind of a girl thing anyway yeah, I think yeah, but yeah. I have no qualms about being naked in front of my sister as and when yeah but like I would not lay in a bed naked with her no and you wouldn't just get naked in front of her for no reason no and I also would not undress her in any way whilst begging her to let me yeah um like unless she was very drunk and I had to like get her ready for bed or something yeah or she was unwell I would not do that (laughs) so i think and like me and my sister aren't the closest of siblings but i just feel like there's there's being close and there's and then there's that next level yeah and i mean like i'm very close with my sister she literally lives around the corner from me we see each other a lot i would never do that to her (laughs) 
no exactly um and i know that the english are considered prudes compared to the rest of europe but i just i still think that most people would still think that behavior is a bit much yeah there's being a prude and then there's not wanting (laughs) to strip your own sister naked like and share a bed with her naked yeah and yeah so one doctor however this is a fourth doctor not part of the three that was set to evaluate them okay um he suggested that there was perhaps a third identity to consider and that was that the relationship between christine and leah was so close that their personalities had merged into one and that the killer was like the third identity entirely um i don't think he was taken into consideration though with his thoughts because he wasn't appointed officially to and i can imagine that was quite um forward thinking for the time yeah, and in general, this case garnered a lot of psychologists and doctors to want to speculate and study the the case. Yeah. Um. So there were lots of different theories being flown about. It's anyway, a bit similar to the Ericsson twins that we covered. Oh, girl, we're getting to that. (laughs) Jumping ahead. So regardless, with the go-ahead on the mental state of the Papin sisters, the trial was set for September 1933. Interestingly, though, once again, their mental health was brought into question during the trial, with medical testimony noting a history of mental illness within the family, as their uncle had died of suicide and their cousin was in the care of an asylum. Not sure which uncle that was, if it was the one that was looking after Leah... Um, when she was a baby for a year Mm -hmm. in the end the conclusion was that christine and leah suffered from shared paranoid disorder where multiple people who were isolated from the world like the papin sisters were due to their devotion to their work and you know then spending their lunchtime just together they develop paranoia and one of the people tends to dominate the other just like it was believed that christine dominated the more obedient leah now, often this case of thought is thought of as similar to the Ericsson, the Ericsson twins. twins, which we covered in episode 28, which, oh my God, it doesn't feel like that long ago, oh but that's God. like, that's, that's ages ago. I mean, what episode will this be? Like 59? Oh my God. I think late fifties. Yeah. Yeah. W- weird, isn't it? That's insane more than half our amount of episodes ago if that makes sense <laughs> yeah god that doesn't now, feel like that long ago but i wonder no, if it's it really because doesn't. we only do because we because we do every other yeah yeah of course yeah. now i'm not sure if shared paranoid disorder is the exact same as folia de mm. um such as was determined to be occurring in the ericsson twins crimes or well, not determined but thought of yeah as when I tried to search for shared paranoid disorder, Google very helpfully showed me results only for shared psychotic disorder. Oh. Which I don't know if that's like the new name for it. Oh, okay. But it, yeah, it was just difficult to... To, to find anything on it. Yeah. yeah. But I believe it's considered to be very similar. And okay. I find it fascinating, like in general, like psychosis fascinates me. I think because no one is immune to developing it. Yeah. So even those of known mental health history who are considered like really rational humans, and I'm kind of thinking of you here, Jess. Um, oh, thanks can, for thinking of me as a rational human. Um, it's a nice they can, yeah. <laughs> they anyone can develop psychosis with the right or you know perhaps I should say wrong circumstances. Yeah. Like all it takes is a little bit of stress, not much sleep, and bam. Yeah, that can cause psychosis. Doesn't matter who you are. Yeah. Anyway, after the trial, it took jurors only forty minutes to return with a guilty verdict for the murders of Madame Leonie Lancelon and Genevieve Lancelon. As Leah was believed to have been greatly influenced by her sister, 
she was given just a 10-year sentence. In stark contrast to this somewhat lenient sentence, the dominant Christine was sentenced to death by guillotine. Very French. This was later changed to a life sentence, though. I was, like, 10 years to... We're going to kill you by chopping your head off. Yeah, though I was thinking this. I would think I'd rather die by guillotine than, ha- than to be than, um, hanged. Yeah, a lot quicker. Also, we apologise for saying hung in a in an earlier episode oh. when we were talking about things because uh, our editor pointed it out and I kicked myself because I know it's never hung. hung. It is always hanged. Um, you're, you're always hanged, not hung. Uh, yeah. But, yeah. So that is a Bristolian thing. Like, Bristolians are really bad at grammar, so... I'm not saying anything. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But yeah, I think I'd rather be guillotined. Yeah, it's a lot quicker. Yeah. Um, But then I think, like, I would really want to move my head. I know you can't move your head, but you'd really want to. Yeah, you'd be like, whoop, oh, too quick for you. (laughs) Yeah. Um, Mm. Anyway, no, I don't really want to be sentenced to death. Um, No. However, Christine's imprisonment would be the death of her. Or more accurately... Her separation from her sister Leah would be the death of her. She wrote countless letters in which she begged to be with Leah, but her wishes were not granted. She became depressed and experienced moments of what they called madness, but I suppose, if real, it was psychosis. Eventually, she refused to eat and was transferred to a mental institution in Rennes, a city in the east of Brittany, around 90 miles from Le Mans. It was hoped that she would receive professional help and return to prison in a better mental state. However, this did not happen. Still away from her favourite person, Christine continued to starve herself until she succumbed to cachexia, which is where you basically waste away. Christine Papin died on May 18th, 1937, at just 32 years old. And I saw your face there, Jess. Because why is someone allowed to almost starve themselves to death? Yeah. Like, but I, su- I don't know if they... How did that happen in a facility that was supposed to help her? Yeah, I also I wonder though. So obviously now, if someone refuses to eat, we would feed them via... And I'm not saying it's necessarily ethically right to do this either. It's very difficult. It's, it's very hard to determine this. Yeah. Um, having been a nurse caring for someone who has refused to eat, and this has been the path we've had to go down... Um, you can insert obviously nasogastric tubes. Um, so there you go, up your nose and down your esophagus into your stomach, and they, f- you know, it's like tube feeding. Yeah, uh, it just gives you, you the see... nutrients that you need to stay alive. Yeah, and you do see sometimes people who are anorexic um, are are fed this way against their will. Um, the ethics of which could be discussed at length. Mm. I don't know how readily available that was in the 1930s. Yeah, true. I also don't know how good it would have been if it was available because you have to make sure, obviously, you're in the esophagus and in the stomach but rather than going down the trachea into the lungs. Yeah. Because, obviously, one feeds you, one kills you. Yeah. Well, causes aspirate pneumonia. So, but, yeah, very, yeah. Very it's, bad if you get it wrong. Yeah. Um, hence why you tend to aspirate the NG tube to see if you are in the stomach, because you can check the pH of the stomach contents. And if that fails, you can do an x-ray. Yeah. 
Um, just a bit of nursing knowledge <laughs> for everyone. Um, but yeah, I don't know what was available. I must admit, my I'm now realizing how bad my knowledge of uh, medical history is. But yeah, she should have basically been helped enough that she was willing to eat. At that point, surely you would think, let's just let her see her sister just to get her to eat. Yeah. Mm. Yeah, I suppose. In a way, it just it seems like the death sentence was actually the nicer sentence. Yeah. Because she but then died also... anyway. So at least the guillotine would have been quicker and less suffering for but her. But then I suppose you get into the efficacy it's very difficult especially because at the moment i'm reading a book by a um forensic psychiatrist who is discussing how she doesn't think serial killers and violent offenders are monsters so it's kind of difficult because she makes good points and obviously she knows a lot more than i do yeah and she also doesn't excuse their actions um but it's a very interesting book which i will also be using for patreon um but anyway, you have to look at whether A, is death a bit of a get out yeah. for people who have committed horrible crimes? And again, you have to then decide whether she did commit this through insanity or whether it was planned. Mm. And then B, there's the whole thing of, is it right to kill people regardless? Like to play God? Yeah. Which so it's, it's very difficult, isn't it? I do agree with um I mean, like, it's the whole you, an eye for an eye makes the whole world blind yeah. kind of thing. And, and I think Jess is saying that she doesn't agree with the death penalty, yes, by the way. Yes, I am. Before Very, uh, we yeah. get completely cancelled. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I do... Yeah, like, I do agree that she should have gone to prison because I also do think, actually, for a lot of people, the death penalty is a nicer option because they don't want to sit in a prison cell for the rest of their life. So actually giving yeah. them a life sentence is worse than giving yeah. them a death sentence. And I also found out recently that it's more expensive to kill someone than it is to keep them in prison for the rest of their life. So oh, really? the, yeah, I think in America at least, well, obviously we don't have the death sentence yeah. here. Um, so death penalty here. So if that is indeed true, mm. then the argument for oh, well, why should we pay to keep them alive in prison is null and void. Yeah. But back to the case. Yes. (laughs) Sidetracked. Interestingly, Leah, however, seemed to do okay without Christine, which, again, makes you wonder who was really in control or whether it was, like, an abusive thing. Yeah, and actually that was, like, Like a weight off Leah's shoulders. Yeah. And she could actually finally start to live her life. Exactly. So she served only eight years of her sentence before being released early in 1941 due to good behaviour. She then moved to the city of Nantes and was joined by her mother, Clemence. Mm. Weirdly. Um, I guess having been given away as a child and then I think Christine... Obviously, Christine made Leah get the job as a chambermaid, which we're assuming is a better paid job, therefore by deduction... I'm assuming that Christine was the one who had most of the relationship with Clemence. Yeah. Um, making them get better paid, paid jobs, I mean. Yeah. So I wonder if she only had a good relationship with her mother or maybe it was a good relationship because of her obedient nature. Yeah, don't know. but I don't know. But anyway, she was joined by her mum. Mm. 
She took on a new identity and she resumed her work as a maid. However, in hotels instead of employers' homes. Okay. There is a bit of uncertainty surrounding when she died exactly, with some accounts stating that she passed away in 1982 at the age of 71. However, a French film producer claimed to have encountered Leah Papin in a hospice in France in the year 2000, where she had suffered a stroke and was unable to speak. This woman died in 2001, and if this was indeed Leah, then she would have been 90 years old. In death, the sisters were reunited, and the two are buried together in cemetery. I think it's the French word for cemetery. Okay. Uh, Butellerie? Butchered it, I'm sure. But they were buried together in a cemetery. Yeah. <laughs> um, in Nantes. Sadly, I don't know what happened to Monsieur Lancelon after the murders of his wife and youngest daughter. I can't even begin to imagine how he must have felt. No, I'm... Considering one of the murderers. Yeah. Uh, like, I know he... Obviously, he's got his older daughter as well, and I just hope they were able to lean on each other. Mm. But... Uh, devastating. I mean, fine. I know it wasn't him who found them, but... Knowing, I think, as well, that he entered the house and was so close to finding them and then was like, oh, they must actually, I'll just go straight to the party. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, and I can't imagine how he must have felt considering that one of the murders, like, just she just got to continue her life eight years later. Yeah, and lived to a potentially... At least 70. Yeah, potentially a ripe old age of 90. Yeah. Which his wife and daughter never got the chance to. Exactly. So there are some things I find really interesting and telling about these murders. Mm. So, <laughs> one is that although the iron wasn't found to be faulty, it had tripped the power twice that week, apparently. So, one time with the murders and one time before. Yeah. Now, was the iron actually faulty and this had happened? Or, even if the iron wasn't faulty, sometimes you can, like, plug in one too many appliances and yeah. it can cause power cuts. It happens in homes in 2023. Never mind homes 100 years ago. Yeah. In 1930, well, almost 100 years ago, in 1933 when I'm, I assume electricity was a little bit less reliable. Mm. So was it that, you know, that the house actually had had the power tripped? Or was it that the sisters were trying, you know, had faked it and were trying to elicit this violent reaction from their employer as an excuse to attack her yeah. and then get their own back to, you know, for the way she had treated them and use this as a defence and then be able to get away with the crime? Yeah, maybe. Especially if there was no fault to the iron, it had just got fixed. Exactly. And it happened so, so close together. And it wasn't yeah, so, it doesn't sound like it was a common occurrence. No, because otherwise you'd presume that she wouldn't have gotten so mad. Yeah. So I wonder if it was that when it had happened earlier, they hadn't got the response they wanted and they were like, oh. So then they thought they'd try again. Yeah. Or maybe it was literally just one of those things and it just tipped happened. her and then they th they attacked. Yeah. Who knows? But knowing her, they would have known that that was the response that they were going to get. Yeah, but then that wasn't the response that happened they got the first the time. time. Yeah, true. Um, I also wonder if Genevieve was sadly just there and had to be killed as she you know witnessed. put up a fight uh, yeah witnessed and you know would have put up a fight and stopped yeah. the women from killing her mother or was she an intended target as well mm. um i mean obviously 
they might not have known that they were going to return together but then actually i suppose they would have done they knew yeah. that they were out they shopping together noon they would have known they would have known they would have known the schedule and they would have known that the husband wasn't there yeah exactly and i just i wonder if maybe she was also just seen as an enemy because she was part of the family maybe they you know they just took their chance and bit just attacked when they could a bit jealous or of maybe her because she's got the childhood that they never had yeah and the luxury life that she that they never had yeah or, you know, was she ever cruel to the maids? As I mm. didn't see any evidence that she was, but I can't... Also, you know, you think if you're going to have a role model mother who abuses the maids, you might do the same. Yeah. Um, the evidence that said that the mother did abuse the maids, mm. um, was that just the maid saying that, or was there actually, like... I have to assume it was just the maid saying that. However, I don't know. Okay. Because all that was ever reported was that it was that she reportedly abused the maid. Okay, so I don't yeah. know how true those claims are, but it doesn't seem to be in dispute. Okay. And again, as we mentioned earlier, type of <laughs> era that it was wasn't frowned upon to give to give, perhaps give be a bit hand, a little bit of a hands on per yeah. se. Yeah. Um additionally, so it's mentioned that Madame Leone's eyes were found in her scarf, which was around her neck. Yeah. Now, we that seems like me an obvious way to somewhat easily and kill, uh, easily strangle and kill someone. Like if they're mm. already wearing a scarf that can be used as a ligature. I know we often debate the ease of strangling someone on this podcast, but it just seems easier to incapacitate at least yeah. someone I with mean, what's already around the neck. Difficult to suffocate someone but if you've got a ligature it's made easier and how much like easier is gouging out someone's eyes than suffocating them and also definitely easier you'd think than running downstairs to get two weapons and then run back upstairs with them yeah but that also makes me think maybe it wasn't premeditated because wouldn't they have had Had them closer to hand yeah see there's so many things that just get me thinking in this case yeah I wonder if it wasn't not premeditated, but like they had thought about thought it, thought about it, and they they were like, even if it was an unintentional power cut, they were like, mm. you know what, fuck it, let's take our opportunity. Yeah, and they might have even just, even as a joke or just in general between the two of them, who knows what they did discuss? Yeah. Because no one really saw them talking. No. We don't know if they talked and, you know, fantasised about things like this yeah. in their room together or planned things. Or even if they weren't planning to murder them, they probably spoke about what a lovely life they had and how they wished that they had their life and it was unfair that they had this life and yeah. they got to abuse them. So they probably, like, egged each other on in that sense. Exactly. I mean, again, we're just speculating here, yeah. everyone, but... And I also think it's quite telling that they, the reason they went downstairs, fetched these weapons, so a hammer and a knife, mm. it points to me that they really wanted to torture their victims, like they wanted to inflict pain. Yeah, it's not just a spur of the moment anger. Like, yeah, because there must have been, like that, that jug was obviously close to hand. So there was other weapons close yeah, to hand. Like they obviously, once they started attacking, they were like, that's it, we're going we're gonna to kill these people. And it does point to the fact that they had discussed their ideas. Yeah. 
Um, also, reportedly, most of the beating was to the faces of the Lance Alarm women, which points to it being a very personal attack. Mm. Uh, quite a lot of anger, quite personal, quite passionate. Yeah. Uh, again, which could signify the jealousy they feel and the hatred towards Madame Leone at the very least for how she treated them or reportedly treated them. Yeah. Um, the mutilating of the buttocks and thighs is a bit odd. Yeah. Um, as women's French fashion in the 1930s was to wear long skirts, so they would have had to... It seems unlikely to me that a very long skirt, and when I say long, I'm talking at least mid-calf. Yeah. That skirts like that, even in a struggle, would completely ride up. Yeah. They might do, but I just feel like they would have had to expose Madame Leone and Genevieve to do this. Yeah. Whereas, like, obviously it would still be horrific to happen now, but if someone was wearing a short skirt or, you know, very short shorts, it would be easier to get to those areas to attack them. It would still be absolutely horrific. Yeah, but... especially if your intention was to kill them. Like, going for the... Th- th- not that I'm telling people how to murder people but going for the thigh obviously you've got some big blood vessels running through there mm, likelihood yeah likelihood of them bleeding out is higher if you manage to hit it in the leg but then they say mutilating yeah that's more than I... just stabbing yeah i feel like that's cutting in a pattern or like superficial cuts um again we don't go into things too much here and i don't want to sit here and like speculate and sensationalize something that's already pretty horrific yeah horrific sorry to swear but i mean Mm. jesus um but that's what it signifies to me yeah that it was superficial cuts in perhaps a pattern or at least you know in a way that was torturous rather than um fatal yeah Um, I personally also think it's really hard to determine if this was mental illness or not, especially because we're talking about the planning, potentially. Yeah. Um, But of course, it isn't for me to sit here and diagnose them. I'm not qualified Mm -hmm. um, and I didn't meet them. Uh, But there do seem to be elements of poor poor mental health as well as elements of acting like they have poor mental health. Okay. Do you agree? I don't know. Yeah. I mean, the whole staring off into space when they were at trial i mean i know can come across as seeming like they have mental health problems but um that's also not what they did beforehand it's also i've watched um so people might be familiar with jcs psychology the youtube channel that looks at um, murderers interrogations and trials yeah and they did one where they looked at someone pretending to be mad. And that is something that people do. You know, they stare off in space and yeah, stuff. Yeah, because they think it makes them like look crazy. Insane. In yeah. quotation marks. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But actually, it's quite an obvious that, like, you're, you're faking it. Yeah, as someone who has um, looked after and triaged people with psychosis, that isn't really generally how they present. They might have moments of that while they're thinking or hearing voices which is something that indicates psychosis but they don't just stare it's not like... no yeah. if anything they tend to be very distressed and animated mm. um rather than quiet and i can imagine they're more like composed. shifty eyes like oh, like yeah there's, a paranoia. there's something in the corner yeah like sometimes they might look to the corner and interact because they're seeing someone or they might 
look into the distance and make different faces because they're hearing someone in their head, but they don't tend to just stare blankly at a wall. I'm not going to pretend again that I'm a mental health nurse who has experienced psychosis a lot, but I just, I'm talking personally about my own personal experience. Yeah. With who I have experienced. Yeah. I said experience a lot there. (laughs) Regardless, I think from a psychological standpoint, um, this case is just fascinating, which is one of the reasons I wanted to cover it. Mm. Not just because psychosis in general fascinates me, as does mental health as a whole. I kind of wish in some ways I'd become a psychiatrist, <laughs> but that'll be another life. Um, but because I just think shared paranoia is really interesting. Yeah. And French intellectuals would agree with me. Ooh. Don't you know? Because many, uh, many different French intele- intellectuals have written analysis, analyses of this crime. Analyses? Anal- anal- I, an, anyway, they've an written about this crime a lot. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, overall, though, of course, the main thing is this case is absolutely tragic. Uh, two women lost their lives, three if you count Christine. Yeah. A man lost his wife and youngest daughter, making him the real third victim in this case. Yeah. And I think we have to... Not. I don't want to absolve... Christine and Leah of the crimes but I think we do have to take into account the upbringing that the sisters had and consider if this contributed to the events you know whilst Christine may have had a lovely guardianship with her paternal aunt and uncle she was still sent to an orphanage at just seven and Leah was sent at just one years old despite them both actually having two alive and well parents who just didn't and couldn't care for them and the fact that they were almost forced into working by their mum mm. when at a young age. Yeah. I mean, it was a normal age then, of course. But, it's, but Christina well, wanted got to th- follow her sister in becoming a nun, and then was like, "Actually, wasn't allowed. No, you're not allowed to do that." Even though I've sent you to this Christian orphanage, you're not allowed to do that. And I think, obviously, the reason why people don't, you know, the legal age in the UK, for example, to get to start working is 16. You can do paper rounds at a younger age, but obviously, that's much less hours. Yeah. Um, the legal age is 16 because I'm assuming there must be some sort of poor psychological effects from being in full-time work. I mean, obviously, it's education as well, but full, there must be some bad psychological effects from being in such full-time intense work mm. at a young age. Don't get it wrong. Hard work is great. I've been working since I was just turned 17 because I was looking for a job in that time. Yeah. Um, you know, I've been employed since I was 17 and I've always worked. And I, I don't think hard work is bad for anyone, but I just think there must be elements of such an intense where it's, mm. it's not good for your development. You still are developing. Yeah, agreed. And also you need the social life as well. I think that's exactly. what these sisters were so deprived of, was a social life. Completely. A social life outside of each other. Yeah, exactly. Um, whether that might have been a choice or not, it might not have been a choice in terms of they might have gotten... It might have been that in the orphanage, each other were a safe space and then they weren't able to interact with people once they were in the real world. Yeah, and they just didn't know how to form bonds with other people because they had such a strong bond together. They became almost reliant on each other. Completely. Um, And yeah, in that vein, no wonder they were so bonded. Mm. They were the only constant in each other's lives. And then when they were apart, you can see why one of them had a breakdown, regardless of, you know, what we know as to why. You can see how. Yeah. That's your one constant gone. That's your safety net. Yeah. Again, it's tragic all round and just goes to show how situations can escalate way beyond what's imaginable. And that, Jess, is the case of the Papin sisters. 
Wow. Bit heavy, but very interesting, I think. Yeah. Like something that I could easily sit and dissect for hours so i won't because <laughs> we'd be here for hours yeah. and simon would kill us as well i mean i feel like we already i feel like we already dissected quite a lot there oh yeah but that's the tip of the iceberg for what i could do jess oh my god i know <laughs> i know and she's like this girl can fucking go on <laughs> thing is i think because it's such an old case although it is well documented there's still hmm. a lot of like speculation like we've already come up with different theories and yeah that's just like not knowing the information so obviously a lot of the information and we've said today is obviously you've brought me the facts and then we've yeah, of course. speculated off of that yeah yeah and there might have been things that i've you know not found yeah. out that so don't take our word as gospel but <laughs> <laughs> never do and yeah i just also wonder if we'd been able to psychoanalyze for want of a better term yeah uh, these two sisters more thoroughly with the information we have now. Yeah. What insights we could gain. Yeah. Because I think that's the thing. Whenever a crime, hap- crime happens, at least, no matter how horrific, the best thing you can take from that is to learn. Definitely. But yeah, that I guess that's very, all we have today. Yeah, very interesting case. Yeah. Thank you. And um, I won't see you guys next week. No. Um, Enjoy a week will... off. Well... I'll be looking after <laughs> a week off podcasting, but yeah, looking yeah. after your mum. Um, but Jess has got a lovely episode sorted for you. I'm sh- I'm sure I haven't heard it either. I don't even know what it's on. Um, I won't ruin the surprise then. No, no, of course not. Good. <laughs> but other than that, guys, of course, stay, stay spooky. Hey guys, if you have a ghost story or a case suggestion, please email us truecrimecovinpod at gmail.com. You can also find us on Twitter at truecrimecovin or on Instagram and Facebook where we are at truecrimecovinpod. Also, it would mean the absolute world to us if you could rate us wherever you're listening to this right now, be it Spotify, Apple Music, or if you're on YouTube, give us a little thumbs up click that bell get notifications every time we post subscribe to us wherever you get your podcasts from make these two witches smile (laughs) (laughs) thanks witches sorry simon